you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open them to Matthew chapter 6. In your orders of service, you'll find uh, verses uh, 6, I'm sorry, uh, 19 through 24, but I'll actually be reading through the end of 34. Uh, This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not... Much more clothe you, O you of little faith. Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is his own trouble. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray, Lord, that you would open it to our eyes and to our hearts. Help us to practice it. And Lord, help us to understand it. Speak through your servant this morning, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. In December... 2019, around this time last year, people all around the world were excitedly thinking about the coming new year. Most people were thinking about their new goals or how to improve their financial situations, their jobs, or their businesses. Others were planning on spending more time with family or improving their health. But as we all know, nobody saw the pandemic coming. In fact, as I look back on many articles written on New Year's resolutions for 2020, I found various articles entitled, How to Make 2020 Your Best Year Ever. It goes without saying that these articles did not age well. 
But as they say, hindsight is 2020. Sorry. <laughs> Had to slip it in. And while it is not my intention to crush New Year's resolutions or healthy goals or aspirations for the new year, as Christians, we need to be aware that there can be a very serious problem with resolutions, or at least the way the world approaches resolutions. You see, Scripture teaches us that the world is not about us. Our lives are not our own. It isn't about making this next year our best year, nor should our lives be focused on having our best life now, as some false preachers proclaim. Our purpose as Christians is at odds with the world around us. We are here for much more than finding joy and fulfillment in this world. The Bible teaches us that there is more to life than the American dream, the beautiful house with the white picket fence, the balanced family, and the healthy financial portfolio. And while we know this, in another real sense, we really don't live it. We struggle with this. At times, we long for the things that this world has to offer. We want joy, fulfillment, and abundance in this life right now. And I fear that this perspective on life impacts not only our New Year's resolutions, but our entire way of living. And we're not alone in this. See, Jesus preached this sermon because believers were clinging to this world. Their hearts were rooted in worldly things. And as we read through the Gospels, we learn that the disciples were often confused by the things that Jesus said and did. We read of them drawing swords and Jesus telling them to put them away. We read of them jockeying for position, seeking power, and being disappointed when Jesus died on the cross and didn't become an earthly king, freeing them from their oppression and their hardships. There really is nothing new under the sun. We still long for these things. We still want power, safety, wealth, and stability. Not much has changed. And here in Matthew 6, Jesus preaches that our purpose in this world is not to settle in and to get comfortable, but rather to become heavenly focused. In this passage, Jesus drives home this message in four different ways so that we don't miss his point. He tells us to build up hearts that seek a heavenly treasure that seek a heavenly outlook, a heavenly master, and a heavenly kingdom. And Jesus starts off the passage by calling us to have hearts that seek after that heavenly treasure. Now, a few days ago, millions, if not billions, of presents were being opened around the globe. Why is it that we give gifts? What is the message that we are seeking to communicate when we give someone a present? Well, we're trying to say that we care about them. I purchased this gift for you to bless you or to bring you joy because I love or care about you. But wouldn't it be strange, really strange, if the gift suddenly became the object of our affection instead of the person who had given that gift? If, for example, I gave my wife an engagement ring, my soon-to-be wife in that case, she started all of a sudden distancing herself from me. If she started to obsess over the ring and forgot completely about me, that would be strange. And God has given us beautiful things in this world to enjoy and to delight in good things. But often we become so captivated by the gifts that God has given us that we forget the giver of that gift. We have so many things in this world that we love, good things that God has given us, 
that show us His love for us. But according to this passage, these good gifts can become far too valuable in our minds and hearts. And we lose focus uh, and, and put our attention on the gift instead of the giver. And this happens far too easily. Our pull to this treasure can consume our thoughts and desires in ways we would never expect. We don't realize how strong the pull is for these things or the effect it has on us. A long time ago, we had a German shepherd, a beautiful German shepherd named Chosky. He was such a great dog, and he was very, uh, had a very strong and intense animal instinct for chasing after animals. He, had, he was, had such a strong desire, and he was such a strong dog. But when he would see his prey, or a squirrel or cat, whatever it may be, he would immediately tense up. You could see his muscles just tense up. His ears would shoot up, and his every move and his every sense was focused in on this prey. He was fully fixated on the one thing that he wanted. He didn't care if there were cars coming across the road or if there was danger in the path between him and the objective. In some ways, he would sort of lose consciousness of everything else around him, everything except for the one objective. I believe that something similar happens to us when our intense desire for things in this world kick in. We lose sight of everything except for that one goal. We pursue it with all of our strength and our attention. And sometimes we even plan our entire lives around it. It's for this reason that Jesus here calls us to fight against the danger of falling in love with the things of this world. For when we treasure worldly things, our heart grows attached to this world. And when Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven... I hope that you're not thinking of those treasure chests with gold just pouring out of them. When we think of treasure, we should realize that treasure is almost anything that we love. Even good things. For example, what do you dream about? What do you long for? For some of you, it could be health. You might be in the middle of some difficult suffering. You may long for your good health to be back. For others of you, it might be financial success. Maybe you long to be really good at your job or the best in your field. You want to be liked by those around you and want people to know that you are the best. Your treasure could possibly be a desire to find love. It could be that you want love in your life so badly and you do not have it. It could be a desire for children or perhaps even certain things for your children. The desires may not be bad desires, but when these desires take over in a priority position in your life, or when your desire is so strong that you want it more than your ultimate desire, your treasure has become greater than God in your heart. We have become fixated. We have become consumed by these gifts. We do these things because as Jesus teaches in this passage, our hearts are connected to what we long for. The thing we treasure most is like a strong magnet that just pulls and pulls on our hearts. Jesus tells us to fight against earthly treasure that is fading, and instead, he calls us to lay up our treasure in heaven. And this is a command that requires attention. Jesus is saying that we must actively work on laying up our treasure in heaven. 
our hearts should be pulling us toward heavenly desires, everlasting treasures that will last. And as we later learn in this passage, we have to choose. We cannot lay up treasures in both heaven and on earth. We must choose. For laying up treasures in heaven requires forsaking the fading treasures that we have clung to in this world. Treasures that will fail us and cause our hearts to despair. Jesus calls us to cast aside these fading earthly aspirations to seek true and lasting heavenly treasure. For where our treasure is, there our hearts will be also. But how do we do that, right? We know our hearts must be focused on heavenly things. But how do we prevent our hearts from just replacing one treasure with another worldly treasure? Well, we must obtain, we must build up a heavenly outlook. When we do not see things clearly, we fall back into the same error that we did in the past. Here in this passage, Jesus speaks of an eye that is unhealthy, an eye that is dark, bad, or evil in verse 22. When our eye is evil, when our eye is dark, then all we see is darkness and evil. In other words, if our vision is bad, all we will long for are bad things, the things of this world, not the things of heaven. Our vision will be distorted, confused, and faulty. Our outlook on life, our desires, and our longings will be for those things which cannot satisfy. When our outlook is focused on this world, which is the polar opposite of a heavenly outlook, we cannot see things for what they are. And rather than call sin what it is, we lie to ourselves. We deceive ourselves into thinking that just one more episode or just one more YouTube video is harmless. We lie to ourselves in so many different ways, whether it's saying just one more round as we play games late into the night, or perhaps while browsing the internet in ways we know can lead us down the wrong path. We'll excuse overeating or undereating with a variety of excuses from health-related issues to stress. When offered another drink and when we know we should say no, sometimes we deceive ourselves into thinking it's not really a problem. The ways we deceive ourselves to justify so many things, our laziness, our overworking, our temperament, our pride, these things should shock us more than they do. It's really easy for us to see it when other people do it, but Jesus teaches us here that if our vision is darkened by sin, we often don't see our own problems clearly. We only see darkness. So how do we get eyes? How do we get a vision? How do we have a heart for heaven rather than a heart for this world? Well, we must fill our vision with light. Again, as Jesus has command, commanded earlier, we must do the hard work of laying up treasures in heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we must work to fill our lives with light. And the only way we can do this is through God's Word. Remember what John said, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. How can we fill our lives with light? with God's word. His word shines on all the darkness in our lives. Because when that light shines in the darkness, John tells us that nothing can overcome it. Now, a couple of months ago, I received a call from a long-lost childhood friend 
named Marcion. We went to school from fifth to seventh grade together, and we lived across the street from each other. I remember having lots of fun with him, uh, but also being really intimidated by him. He was a strong athlete. He was one of the most popular kids in school, and he was not a believer. When my family moved away to be missionaries in Peru, we lost contact for 24 years until two months ago. He found me on the internet and called me and told me that he wanted to thank me for telling him about Jesus when we were kids. I was stunned. I just shook my head in unbelief while I talked to him on the phone. I said to myself, I didn't do anything. I remember feeling horribly about barely having an awkward conversation with him once and feeling that it went terribly wrong. I felt like I had probably done more harm than good for the gospel. And he said, I remember that conversation. And I want to thank you. I want you to know that God used you to change my life. Then he said something that I will never forget. He said, Nathaniel, the light of Jesus is so strong that even a little bit of it will change someone completely. My friend Marcion, who is now my brother in Jesus, not because I was eloquent or convincing, but because, as he put it, a little bit of Jesus' light hit his heart, and that light changed and overcame the darkness. Praise the Lord for that. Brothers and sisters, the sins in our lives can only be overcome one way, and it is through the light of Jesus. And that light is in his word, and it is in the preaching of his word, and it is in prayer, and it is in the fellowship of the saints. And maybe you look at our church, and you know that it's struggling, and that we have problems in it. If only things were different, if only things were better, if only this, or if only that, if only. And it's true, with the saints in heaven, that will be glory. But with the saints on earth... That's a very different story. We are all sinners. We are all inadequate. We all offend each other. We must repent. We must grow. This is true. And yet, and yet, even though we are broken, we are faulty and inadequate people, even a little bit of Jesus' light comes through that brokenness. It is through these sinful and broken people that God has chosen, has chosen to shine his light. If we're here today, it's because we have come to find Jesus. And this church is his bride. We are God's people. And we have vowed to love her and to protect her and to unify her. And as a church, to lift high that light so that others can see Jesus through us. In 2021, I pray that we will pursue this light together as one body. That we will, like a moth, be drawn to the light. That we would pursue the light with complete determination and focus, fixated on Jesus and on Him alone. And it must start by us filling our eyes with the light of Jesus and His Word. This is the light that Jesus has given to overcome the darkness. We must be reading God's Word daily. We do not simply live on bread alone. Even if you can't read yet, there's so many platforms. There's audio Bibles. There's kids' audio Bibles. There's ways to do this. There are many different platforms and groups. I exhort you not to wait until January 1st to find one. I exhort you today to find a group, find a plan, 
find someone that you can connect with to read through the Bible, to read through a devotional together. Make no excuse for the flesh. Do it today. Find someone today here at church. Last year, I threatened that I would start pursuing you men in this congregation and ask you if you have done this yet. I want to renew that threat again today and encourage you to pursue someone. I will ask you, and I pray that your elders will encourage you and ask you the same. And last year, we actually had a group of 45 men who started to read the Bible in a year challenge. I praise the Lord that almost all of us were able to get through at least several months of reading, more than we might have otherwise. And I think actually that more than half of that group are only four days away from completing the entire Bible. If you have not joined in, or if you had to stop for one reason or another, I want to encourage you to jump back in. Or if you need something a little less intense than three chapters a day, we have several options. Look at the back of your bulletin. Um, Men and women, youth and children, every day we must be filling our eyes with the light of scriptures, that we might overcome the darkness with the light of Jesus. And we'll find that in that reading, in that time, even a little bit of his light, his powerful light, will transform us. This is the heavenly outlook that we need. This is the heavenly outlook that Jesus calls us to. In order for us to have hearts that long for heaven, our minds and our hearts must be filled with the light of Jesus every single day. In this way, our hearts will pursue the things that are good and right and will reject more and more the evil that comes at us every day. And in the next verse in our passage, Jesus shows us that though we cannot see it, our hearts often seek to serve two different masters. We deceive ourselves into thinking that this isn't the case, but time and time again we fall back into seeking to serve our flesh while also seeking to serve Jesus. It's not unlike someone who says, oh, I can quit any time. Most of us know that this is an expression that is often given by someone who is trying to convince other people and themselves that their addiction is under control and and that they are probably living in denial of a serious problem. And when we think of addictions, often we think of people who struggle with drugs or alcoholism, who display external signs of their addictions. But addictions are not limited to alcohol and drugs. There are all sorts of strong, gripping addictions that control us. We touched briefly on addictions like television, video games, X-rated materials, and unhealthy eating habits earlier. But there are many other addictions in our lives. Think about what has its grip on you. Work can be an addiction for many of us. What strong inclinations do you have in your life that cause you to indulge in something repeatedly? Paul writes to the Romans in chapter 6, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. In other words, here Paul is explaining that whatever urges or inclinations that you indulge in in your life, that you are obedient to, are actually enslaving and mastering you. We are slaves to that urge that we obey. As much as we would like to believe that we can quit our sin any time, if we continue to repeat those same sins and give it 
give in to the same impulses and continue to be mastered by sin, we are enslaved to it. Sin becomes our master. Jesus explains that we cannot have two masters. You will always love one and hate the other. You cannot serve God and money. If you continue to live in sin, you are hating God. James explains it this way. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Here we see that entertaining sin is like playing with fire. Jesus here tells us that it's not an option. We will get burned. But how do we become free of the bondage of sin? How do we become free from slavery to money and the treasures of this world? It is the same message again. Jesus is calling us, as he did to his disciples over and over again in the the Gospels, to die to self, to die to our flesh, and to live to God. That means we serve him. We humbly submit to him as our heavenly master in all areas of our lives. We become his bondservants, and we live to serve him, dying to our desires, dying to self. We leave no stone unturned in our lives and seek to die to sin. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. And by the Spirit, we put to death the deeds of the body, Paul reminds us. If we look at the entirety of this passage, Jesus is in nuanced and in targeted ways telling us over and over again the same message. We must die to ourselves. That our calling as believers is to love God above self. To love him with our hearts, to love him with our eyes, to love him by, in our obedience to his word. He is telling us to die to our self-serving resolutions and to live for him and his purposes. And that takes us to the final piece of this passage. Building a heart for heaven is to seek a heavenly kingdom. Up to this point in this passage, Jesus' message seems mostly heavy on rebuke. And it is a rebuke that I think we all know we need. We all have so much room to grow. We have much to repent of. But when the next thing Jesus does, excuse me, but then the next thing that Jesus does is that he tells us to stop worrying. He says, don't be anxious about your lives, worrying about food and what to wear or how to provide for your families. What? How can we not worry after we've just received this major checklist of all the things that we're doing wrong and that we need to correct in our lives? It just seems overwhelming. Plus, we know how many times we have messed up in just the last few days, even probably on Christmas Day. We carry our guilt and our shame. We can't even make good New Year's resolutions without being self-centered. But here's the thing. God cannot relax his standards to make things easier for us. His holiness is so important because of who he is. You see, God is holy, holy, holy. And he wants us also to be holy. That's why Jesus came. Not to lower the standard, but to bring us to the standard. To make us holy. To reconcile us with the Father. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ 
who lives in me. And brothers and sisters, if we are in Christ, we can say the same thing. We are not alone. Christ lives in us. He who began a good work in us is still working in us. And he will continue to keep working on us until he takes us home again and completes it. He is not done yet. He is at work in each and every one of us. This is who Jesus is. Jesus has done nothing but provide for us from before we even had consciousness. Before we were born, he has forgiven our sins and he has made us righteous. He has given us life eternal in abundance. And he has conquered sin and death. He provides our food, our clothing. He has been with us every single step of the way, even in the deep valleys and in the horrors of pandemics. Jesus has always been with us and has always been merciful to us. And he will never leave us or forsake us. See, Jesus lives in us and he will help us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Jesus says that he provided more beautifully for the birds of the air and so dressed the lilies of the field in ways that even Solomon in all of his glory could not achieve. That's incredible. Solomon, the man who had it all, had nothing in comparison with what God's provision was for the lilies of the field that are alive today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow. If God can provide for all of these, how much more will he provide for you and for me? He washed the feet of fishermen. He touched the bleeding and the leprous. He was with the outcast. He came to this earth and stooped down to the lowest of the low, all for the kingdom of heaven and all for our good. Jesus is better than anything in this world. This world has nothing on what is in store for us. To seek the kingdom of God is to embrace God's gift of Jesus to us. To build our hearts for heaven and embrace his purposes in our lives. For as we seek him and serve him, he will provide for our every need above and beyond our expectations. This is the joy of having Jesus as our master, our vision, and our greatest treasure. Amen.